Hi, food eaters. This is Mel Weinstein, host of the Food Labels Revealed podcast and the self-professed prophet of processed foods. Welcome to the 14th episode. The topic for today is chewing gum. Yeah, I know, that's not a food, but you still put it in your mouth and get some kind of gustatory satisfaction from it. So, in my opinion, it's fair game. It's also, in most cases, a very processed product, born of a variety of industrial processes. So, let's journey into this pleasurable world of mastication, a world of sweetness, bursting taste, chewiness, and stickiness. For those new to this podcast, here's a wee bit about myself. I have a 30-plus year background in chemistry education, food testing, and chemical research. And for many years, I've had a fascination, some may call it an obsession, with the processed foods we eat, what constitutes those foods, and what they could be doing to our health. Because of my working years in the food ingredient industry, I also bring some inside information to this subject. This is the only podcast that is dedicated to looking behind the processed food curtain at all of those strange and unusual ingredients that populate many of the foods on our grocery store shelves. Do you chew gum? If you're like the average American, you probably do. According to some stats I read, the average American chews 300 pieces of gum per year. And if you're like me, you've been chewing gum for as long as you can remember. Maybe with the exception of clove and licorice flavored chewing gums, I'd like pretty much any gum I could get my mouth on. But in particular, juicy fruit and bubble gum were my favorites. Of course, with juicy fruit, it was the flavor that captured me. It was unique and different and delicious. Then there was the bubblegum, bubblegum of any kind. It also had good flavor and great color, but it was the bubble-forming properties of that gum that endlessly entertained me. I loved the blowing of the bubbles, the popping of the bubbles, the bursting of the bubbles on my face, and the peeling of the gum off my face, then returning the disgusting glob to my mouth for more chewing enjoyment. Life was simple back then. In this episode, I'm going to delve deeply into chewing gum, taking you places you probably don't even want to go, answering such questions as, who the heck started chewing gum? When did it become an industry? Who are the major players in that industry? What are the major components in chewing gum? What's the connection between automobile tires and chewing gum? Why did I stop chewing gum around 2002 and didn't return until about two years ago? And, as usual, what are the ingredients in chewing gum, in particular my old-time favorite juicy fruit and the gum that I chew today? This is not a journey that is likely going to change your life, but hopefully it will be fun and entertaining and maybe a little bit eye-opening. Okay, first off, when did people start chewing gum. Let me tell you, it's a very old practice among peoples from all over the world going way back in history. Chewing gum in many forms has existed since the Neolithic period. Archaeologists have found 6,000 year old chewing gum made from birch bark tar with original tooth imprints in Finland. People just like to chew things. Think tobacco, stevia leaves, coca leaves, and so on. 
It seems that wherever a gummy, sticky, gooey substance leaked from a tree, somebody tried to chew it or masticate it. That's the fancy word for chewing. The tree goo may or may not have tasted good, but the chewing stimulated mouth juices, helped clean teeth, may have been antiseptic, and maybe provided some breath-freshening benefits. Here are some examples of ancient gum chewing. The Greeks were known for chewing mastic gum, which came from the mastic tree growing on the island of Chios. Mastic has antibacterial properties and can be used to treat gastrointestinal problems. In fact, you can buy the powder online as an herbal remedy. The Aztecs in Mexico used chicle, a natural tree gum, to make a base for chewing gum. Much later, in the early 1900s, a British company used it to make a product called Chicklets. We'll see later that there's a connection between chickled gum and the ruthless Mexican general and multi-time Mexican president, Santa Ana, whose army killed Davy Crockett and many others at the Alamo. The Native American Indians also had a chewing gum made from the sap of spruce trees. Doesn't that sound good? But it it became the source of the first American-made chewing gum. In 1848, John Curtis developed and sold the first commercial chewing gum called the State of Maine Pure Spruce Gum. As expected, it wasn't a big seller. Eventually, it got replaced in 1860 by paraffin wax, which was made from petroleum. Based on the paraffin wax, William Semple filed an early patent on chewing gum on December 28, 1869. People used to dip the wax in powdered sugar to maintain the taste over a period of time. That sounds kind of strange, but if you're in my age bracket, you might remember the wax lips that were very popular in the 1960s and later. They served two purposes. They got you a good laugh, and when you got tired of that, you could pop them in your mouth and chew the wax until your jaws got cramps. The first flavored chewing gum was also invented in the 1860s. A balsam tree in Central and South America was known for a flavorful resin called talu, or tolu, I'm not sure how that's said. The natives used it for medicinal purposes to relieve coughs and asthma and to treat wounds. Naturally, it was a brownish, sticky, semi-solid mass, but it could be turned into a powder. A fellow by the name of John Colgan, a Louisville pharmacist, mixed the resin with powdered sugar and made a chewing gum that he called Taffy Talu. All right, let's return to Chickle and General Santa Ana. In 1869, the general, then 74 years old, was exiled in the United States and living on Staten Island. He had brought some chickle with him, which he gave to an American aide by the name of Thomas Adams. Santa Anna thought he could make some money selling chickle as a rubber replacement for carriage tires. That never happened. But Thomas Adams put the roughly one ton of chickle to another purpose. He invented chiclet gum, and established the Adams New York Chewing Gum Company in 1871, which later became part of a company called 
Cadbury Adams, the maker of chiclets. Where does juicy fruit fit in with this chewing gum history? It has actually been around a long time. It was introduced in 1893 by the Wrigley Gum Company of Chicago. It was removed from the commercial market during World War II, but it was reintroduced in 1946 and rapidly became a hit. It has the distinction of being the first grocery item scanned with a barcoder in 1974. Let's get to the question about what commercial chewing gum actually is. Chewing gum is basically composed of six components. Here they are. One, the gum base, which is about 25 to 35% of the total. Two, sweeteners, which are 40 to 50%. Three, softeners, also called plasticizers in the chemical industry. They're present at 1 to 2% concentration. Four, flavorings present at 1.5 to 3 percent, five colorings, probably less than 1 percent, and six polyol coatings. And their amounts are variable, and they may be found as a hard material or a powdered material. More about these polyols later. So it all starts with the gum base. Can't have chewing gum without gum base. As mentioned before, in the early days, the gum base was some sticky mass that exuded from a plant, so it was all natural. But as the modern food industry is wont to do, over time, the natural gums, like chicle, got replaced by synthetic gums. This was a direct consequence of the growth of the plastics and polymer industries just prior to World War II. The rubber supply was iffy due to Japanese occupation of Southeast Asia. So both Germany and the Allies had to find suitable replacements for it, since tires, gaskets, seals, and many other components of the military machine relied upon it. In America, the Goodyear Company came up with SBR, which is made from two very reactive and hazardous chemicals, styrene and butadiene. So SBR stood for styrene butadiene rubber. It was originally developed by the German chemist Walter Bach. It was initially called Buna S and then later Neolite. SBR, like rubber, was an example of a polymer, a substance made up of very long molecules that gave the material stretchy and sticky or tacky properties. Of course, in industry, the properties of SBR could be uniformly controlled since it was derived from chemical reactions taking place in an industrial plant. Unlike natural rubber, whose properties could vary based on the type and location of the rubber trees, as well as the weather. After the war, the synthetic rubbers became commercially available. So today, about 50% of the rubber in tires is synthetic. Shortly thereafter, chewing gum manufacturers switched to a synthetic gum base. When you pop a stick of juicy fruit in your mouth, you're likely chewing some synthetic polymer. It might be SBR or other polymers like isobutylene isoprene, polyethylene, or polyisobutylene polyvinyl acetate. Don't bother looking at the gum wrapper label to figure out 
what polymer you might be chewing. The label will just say something like gum base. Apparently the gums, natural or synthetic, are recognized as grass, which means general, generally recognized as safe, by the FDA and don't have to be specified on labels. If you want to impress your friends, the next time you offer them a piece of gum, ask them if they would like a stick of flavored and sweetened styrene butadiene rubber. The second component of chewing gum is the sweetener. Now, this is where I parted company with the chewing gum manufacturer, since in the early 2000s, I haven't chewed a single piece of juicy fruit. In the good old days, companies like Wrigley would use regular sugar, or maybe corn sugar, as a sweetener for gum. But several decades ago, two other kinds of sweeteners started showing up. Artificial sweeteners, also called high-intensity or non-nutritive sweeteners, and sugar alcohols. All of these were synthesized in factories. At first, these chemicals were only used in sugar-free products or in gums that claimed to reduce cavities, but over time, they infiltrated all the gum lines, probably for the usual reasons of cost, ease of manufacturing, uniform production, and improved shelf life. By the early 2000s, if you wanted chewing gum without those ingredients, it was virtually impossible to find brands that used the old formulas. Believe me, I tried feverishly before I finally gave up. Let's get into some details about the sweeteners. First off, what artificial sweeteners are found in gum? The typical players are aspartame, trade name NutraSweet, asulfame potassium, trade name is equal, and it's also called ACE-K for short, and sucralose, trade name Splenda. These are all high-intensity sweeteners, meaning that very small amounts are needed to produce a sweet taste. For example, aspartame and ACE-K are 200 times sweeter than sugar, while sucralose is 600 times. That means if you want to replace one gram of table sugar in a piece of gum, all you would need is five milligrams of aspartame, barely enough to see on the end of your finger. Of all of these synthetic sweeteners, by far the most controversial is aspartame, or NutraSweet. Reams of articles and books have been written on the subject since the J.D. Searle Company first made it available in the marketplace in 1974. In 1996, a 60-minute special stated that aspartame's approval was one of the most contested in FDA history. However, today, over 90 countries consider aspartame safe and have approved it for food usage. But people with a rare condition, a genetic condition, called phenylketonuria should never consume aspartame. Foods with aspartame are required to list this word, phenylketonurics, on the label as a warning. Aspartame can break down in the body to produce phenylalanine, an amino acid that can build up in the bloodstream and brain, causing people with that condition to suffer intellectual disability and other serious health problems. In 1997, a neurosurgeon by the name of Russell Blaylock wrote a book called Excitotoxins, The Taste That Kills, citing evidence that chemicals like aspartame and MSG can cross the blood-brain barrier, causing brain cells to die 
and leading to diseases like ALS, Parkinson's, and epilepsy. For me, I see no good reason to consume foods with aspartame in them. That's just an unnecessary risk. Nobody has to consume artificial sweeteners like aspartame. Really, I feel the same way about all artificial sweeteners. Even though ACE-K and sucralose haven't created the same furor as aspartame, I religiously stay away from those highly industrial chemicals because I don't trust that future problems won't be discovered. I don't want to be the on the wrong end of that discovery. The other industrial sweeteners used in most chewing gums are called sugar alcohols. These are not to be confused with the grain alcohol found in alcoholic beverages. The word alcohol here represents a class of organic compounds in chemistry that share a molecular feature in common. Their names end in the suffix O-L. Generally, sugar alcohols are less sweet than table sugar. Examples abound for these things. But some of the common sugar alcohols are sorbitol, mannitol, xylitol, baltitol, erythritol, and lactitol. Xylitol is becoming increasingly popular in sugar-free products and is about as sweet as table sugar, while sorbitol is half as sweet. But, of course, as in other aspects of life, there are drawbacks to the sugar alcohols, apart from there just being chemicals produced in a factory. These substances tend to be poorly digested or metabolized. Some people are sensitive to these chemicals and may suffer from stomach aches, diarrhea, gas, and bloating. That was my problem in the early 2000s and why I had to ditch chewing gum for 13 years. If you're a chewing gum freak and have a sensitive stomach, watch out for those sugar alcohols. Try to figure out which ones are good and which ones are bad for you. Maybe all of them are bad for you. After sweeteners, the next components in chewing gum are softeners, also called plasticizers. These are added to maintain the softness, pliability, and chewability of the gum. If they weren't there, the gum would become hard and unchewable in no time. Uh, we all have had that experience with chewing gum. My first job at a college was working in a tire company. Plasticizers were a big deal in the tire industry for the same reasons, to keep the rubber flexible. In chewing gum, softeners may be natural substances such as lecithin, hydrogenated vegetable oils, lanolin, and rice bran wax, or they may be synthetic substances like glycerol ester, pentaurethritol ester, or sodium stearate. Next come the flavorings. As usual, the flavorings will fall under natural or artificial, and generally the labels won't identify them. They are protected as trade secrets. The same thing applies to the next component, colorings. Both flavoring, flavorings and colorings are massive food ingredient industries. They operate in the background are, and are under the radar of the maturity of food consumers. But their influence is vast. The, the tastes that grab you in, in the foods you like are highly manipulated by flavor chemical companies that craft specific flavors for specific foods. If you want to learn more on that subject, I recommend the eye-opening book, The Dorito Effect, by Mark Schatzker. The last essential ingredient in chewing gum is the coating. The coating keeps the gum from sticking to itself 
and also provides a burst of sweetness since most coatings are made from sugar alcohols. The coating comes as either a powder on the gum surface or a hard shell as in gum tablets. So now we know what's in chewing gum. As with most products, there are vast varieties out there to choose from. Something for everyone, from flavors to forms to properties to looks to low or no cow. In the USA alone, there are 17 brands of chewing gum. I should say there are like 17 companies manufacturing chewing gum. Some of those companies you may not even recognize as gum manufacturers. For example, the company Brooklyn makes bazooka gum. Hershey makes Bubble Yubble and Icebreakers. Verva makes Glee and Cadbury Adams, which is uh, internationally known as Mondelez International and also associated with Kraft Foods, makes the gum Trident. And there's also foreign brands such as Dentine, Clorets, Cineburst, Chiclets, and Bubblicious, all made by Cadbury in the United Kingdom. Also, Double Bubble is made by the company Concord in Canada. And by the way, double in double bubble is spelled D-U-B-B-L-E. But the giant of them all, the biggest gum company of them all, is Wrigley, a subsidiary that's been owned by the Mars Company since 2008. Look in the store and you'll see how Wrigley's dominates the gum shells. Its brands include the following, Juicy Fruit, Winter Fresh, Spearmint, Big Red, Double Mint, Airwaves, Five, Eclipse, Extra, Freedent, Hubba Bubba, Orbit, XL, and Razzles. And most of those brands have multiple choices within them. So we're talking dozens and dozens of choices of a gum made by the Wrigley's company. Now, having mentioned Wrigley's, let's go back to Juicy Fruit for a few minutes. Since that was my all-time favorite and a gum I no longer chew, do I hear a jingle? Be shined up, grab a stick of Juicy Fruit. The taste is gonna move you. Move you up, move you out. The taste is gonna move you when you pop it in your mouth. Pretty catchy tune, hey? Sure sounds familiar. That was actually from a commercial that aired in 1991. Just picture teenagers romping on a beach while joyously chewing their Juicy Fruit gum. Now, let's look at the ingredients in Juicy Fruit and then compare that brand to an entirely different kind of gum that I've been enjoying for about a year now. You can buy Juicy Fruit gum in bulk at Amazon in a 40-pack box for $13.69. Each pack contains five sticks. The price per stick comes out to be 6.84 cents. That's 6.84 cents per stick of gum. Here are the ingredients in Juicy Fruit. First one, maltitol, followed by sorbitol, the gum base, natural and artificial flavors, mannitol, aspartame, color, and the color is represented by titanium dioxide, soy lecithin, asulfame K, carnauba wax, and lastly, BHT to maintain fresh freshness. Now, having talked about the components of chewing gum, this list should make some sense now. The first two ingredients are maltitol 
and sorbitol. These are sugar alcohol sweeteners. They make up the bulk of the gum. The third ingredient is the gum base, unspecified of course. The fourth and fifth ingredients are the natural and artificial flavors. Then the sixth ingredient is a third sugar alcohol, mannitol. Since components on the label are listed in order of amounts, this means the mannitol is present in smaller amounts than the flavorings. That means the mannitol is likely the coating on the gum strips. The seventh ingredient is aspartame, the, art the controversial artificial sweetener. Color is the eighth ingredient listed. It's the whitening pigment called titanium dioxide. This industrial chemical is also used to whiten paint, paper, plastic, rubber, think white walls in the old days on tires, glass, and ceramics. The ninth ingredient is soy lecithin, obtained from soybeans, which is a softener or plasticizer for this gum. Another artificial sweetener, acylfame K, is the tenth ingredient. This is the fifth sweetener on the label. The eleventh ingredient is carnauba wax, which is also there as a softener. That's a natural product which comes from the leaves of a palm tree found in Brazil. The twelfth and final ingredient is BHT, which we all know stands for butylated hydroxytoluene, an artificial preservative that I've talked about in earlier episodes. It's there to give the chewing gum a long, long shelf life. A few years ago, I got the craving to chew gum again. So I started looking around to see if there were any new gums on the market that didn't contain artificial sweeteners or sugar alcohols. I'm particularly sensitive to a few sugar alcohols, for example, sorbitol. And I didn't want to get the runs for the simple enjoyment of chewing gum. I knew that I could tolerate xylitol pretty good. So I focused on, on gums that contained xylitol. Uh, I found Pergum, that's P-U-R, which was pretty good. Of course, it was more expensive than mainstream gums. Then last year, I found this product, Tree Hugger Bubble Gum, made with natural flavors, natural colors, natural gum base, and natural sweeteners whole lot of natural there. It was a dream come true. I like the fruit flavors and the chewing satisfaction. Tree Hugger is made by Ruger LLC, an Austrian company which specializes in food products made from natural sources. At Amazon, you can buy four bags of Tree Hugger bubble gum for $12, which includes two flavor assortments. Each bag contains 28 pieces. The cost comes to 11.6 cents per gumball. Compare that to the 6.84 cents for a piece of Juicy Fruit. Well, the, the Tree Hugger brand is 70% more expensive. So you're definitely paying for the higher quality of the product and the fact that it's not mass-produced like Wrigley's gum. Here are the ingredients in the Tree Hugger gumballs. First off, cane sugar. Note, no sugar alcohol there. Followed by glucose, a uh, sweetener obtained from tapioca. Uh, there's gum base, contains natural chicle, brown rice syrup, gum arabic, 
natural flavors including lemon, grapefruit, orange, lime, tangerine. Sunflower lecithin is next. The natural colors which include red beet, beta carotene, and chlorophyllin. And the last ingredient is carnauba wax. So, again, the first ingredient is cane sugar, no GMO corn sugar here, and no artificial sweeteners, as I mentioned. The second ingredient is glucose, uh, and I mentioned also that that's obtained from tapioca starch, not corn. The third ingredient is the gum base. Now, Tree Hugger says the gum base contains natural chicle, but the company doesn't indicate that the gum base is 100% chicle. However, they claim that the product is 100% natural, so that should mean that this gum does not contain any synthetic polymers like SBR. The fourth ingredient is another sweetener, brown rice syrup. The fifth ingredient is gum arabic, probably there as a softener. Next, the sixth ingredient, the natural flavors, are actually listed on the label. The seventh ingredient is sunflower lecithin, another softening agent. The eighth ingredient is natural coloring, and these are also surprisingly listed individually on the label. The final ingredient is carnauba wax, also present for softening. Notice that there is no preservative, artificial, or otherwise in this product. Well, that's it for the chewing gum episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Here is the take-home message. There can be some nasty stuff in chewing gum particularly in the name brands. The gum bases may be made from hazardous chemicals. The sweeteners can be unhealthy or cause intestinal problems. The flavors and colorings can be unknown and potentially hazardous to your health, and so on and so on and so on. If you choose to spend some extra money, you can find chewing gum products that are much better for you, taste just as good, and provide just as much enjoyment. It's your body. It's your choice. Thanks for listening, food eaters. If you could leave a review, good or bad, at the iTunes store, I would greatly appreciate it. You can find all the episodes of Food Labels Revealed at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com or by searching online for the title Food Labels Revealed. And, of course, You can listen to the podcast on your smartphone or tablet by installing any of the available apps like Apple's Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and others. So, food eaters, what do you think about chewing gum now? Did this report affect your thinking on the subject? Please share your thoughts by emailing me at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. That's food labels revealed, all one phrase, at gmail.com. Until next time, take care. If you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants. So long.